Welcome to Restored Gospel Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We are two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity. We invite you into that conversation. Last time we were together, we were talking about um, the blood of Christ, different aspects of that, uh, having faith in the blood. We're going to talk a little bit today about works, grace, mercy, whatever else Corey has prepared for us. So glad to have him here and his knowledge of the scriptures and all the time he's put into that. Um, I think it's a real blessing for those that listen. Um, it really gets our mind moving. So I'm sure I'll have plenty of questions and Corey's going to have all the answers. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, I love talking about it with you, Mike. Thanks for the opportunity to be here. What do you, so in the Protestant world or in the, the Protestants, uh, anti-restoration people think that we're really works-based and that we deny the the grace of the Lord. At least that's some things that I've heard in debates and, and have heard people read and post. So what is it? What is it about works that gets people all up in arms in the evangelical world when you start to, when you start to mention that? Well, that's a, that's a good point, you know. Or should we define works first? Yeah, yeah, I think we have to go there too. Um, part of it, comes down to this, if we only hold the Bible as the only word of Scripture, and that's okay, the answers are found there too, um, we, we can come to certain conclusions if we start in the New Testament, for instance, only as our basis of scriptural study or understanding. And when you talk to most Christians you meet, you know, they're, they're all about John 3.16, for God so loved the world, and, and scriptures like that, and they, they know the stories of Jesus. But when you ask about the Old Testament, it's like, oh, I don't like that. That's just <laughs> kind of hard to understand, and all those names and places and people and lots of killing all the times, and then there was wars and these sacrifices. None of that stuff makes sense to me. And so, so people tend to want to avoid that, thinking, hey, I just need to arrive at understanding when Jesus comes on the scene. And, you know, honestly, that's not a bad uh, place to be. If, if your life follows the life of Jesus and patterns of Jesus and you follow the rules that Jesus gave, you're going to have a good life and you're going to find yourself on the right hand of God, no dispute, right? But the thing to remember is that uh, much of the, the New Testament uh, is made up of epistles, you know, and an epistle was a letter. That was an old-fashioned word for a letter, a letter that Paul or one of the other apostles wrote to people, saints, and so when you're reading other people's mail, as these letters are, and they're 2,000 years old, mm-hmm. you have to sometimes understand the context of the day. Well, that context was very much about the Old Testament. And it was very much about the, the ideas and learnings and culture that were developed a couple thousand years or more before that the people lived by. And so when you talk about works, you have to talk about something that was called the law. Now, before we get into that, the, just from a 30,000-foot view, you know, the age-old argument, well, maybe it's not age-old, but the, the argument seems to be if people argue against the restoration, it's, well, your work's based. And some of that I could see how they arrive at that conclusion because we share a story about different glories and things and different levels of salvation. And, you know, I honestly don't think the Scriptures actually teach that. I realize we've shared that, I don't want to go into that right now. 
I want to put that off to the side for a minute, and let's just look at what the scriptures say about works and what the scriptures say about grace. In our in our last episode, we discussed the fact that grace is this wonderful gift that God made to humanity by coming into this world to become a part of this world so that a price could be paid for our sin. A, a, a tiny little book in the New Testament, the book of Titus, shares something, I think, beautiful. In the second chapter of Titus, verse 11, the grace of God, which brings salvation to all men, has appeared, teaching us, so what, what in that right there, the grace of God appeared. Who appeared? Well, Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ was the point of all these Old Testament sacrifices and all these Old Testament laws. He was the point of the whole law of Moses that governed the church. But he was, all those things they did were types and shadows to teach about him being the great and eternal sacrifice. So he appears, and then it says in verse 12, Titus chapter 2, verse 12, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So this God appears on earth, teaching us to live righteously and looking for a blessed hope, the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Now, the reason I share that is because Jesus appearing is this definition of grace. That's what grace means, is that he came based on his own will, not by, as Titus 3 says, 3 verse 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Ghost. So his choice to come to this earth was the only thing that could bring us back into his presence. That choice by him was grace. Being saved by grace meant that he was the only one who had the ability because he had eternity. He was infinite. That's what the price of sin cost. He was the only one who could pay that debt, the, the very creator. Is this is this scripture, Corey, in 3.7, is that uh, one of the most popular uh scriptures referring to grace or uh, are there others that uh, that you know of that uh, get thrown around a lot as well being justified by his grace sure sure well what's interesting is uh you know in ephesians and and the the grace part we'll get into this a little bit more mm-hmm. w- one of the things i think and this is probably something to state right off the top of the of the talk here is i don't accept the premise that the argument is what many Christians in our day even say it is. It isn't a question, are we saved by grace or are we saved by works? It's because we don't understand the language of the people 2,000 years ago. That's the reading epistles that are 2,000 years old. We, we think we understand it, so we've turned this into an argument that is of our day. Um, uh, uh, and, and we are not arguing or, or we're not discussing the points, at least from the contextual understanding that they had in their day. They were talking about something totally different. When they were talking about grace, they were talking about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, him fulfilling all these other symbols of sacrifice that had preceded them for a couple thousand years through animals and everything else that they they witnessed. 
But the idea from the beginning was that God and only God could step out of eternity into time to save us. That's what grace means. But to, but the, it's morphed into this lazy sort of theology that, oh, well, grace means I just have to say I believe in Jesus and that's done. And, and that's where we sometimes use, well, that's cheap grace, right? It never meant that. It's always and only meant this from the beginning. But let me let me share, I think, a, a little bit on the other side. What do the works mean? And, and, and you asked that question. Scripture defines works in two distinct ways. And this is what I think is important to understand. There is no work of man that could have been enough by itself on its own to wash away our transgression, to, to bring us back into God's presence. We couldn't say, I'm sorry enough. You know, if I just say it a million times, is that enough? Um, we couldn't, you know, help our neighbor, you know, a hundred times. You know, 99 is bad, but if you do a hundred, well, now you've made it. You know, it, it, it didn't come down to that. It didn't come down to, can I just do enough to earn your favor, God? You know, as we said before, he, he stated that he forgave Adam. He forgives us. He's willing to forgive. The question isn't, can, will he forgive me? He's already paid the price for, for us. It's our response. So there, there was nothing we could do on its own. It had to happen by the price that he paid. But our works become the evidence of a changed heart. And we are judged whether our hearts changed. That's the first part of works. This is why James states, hey, if you want to show me your faith, that's great, but I'm going to show you my faith by my works. He's, he's going to say, I'm going to show you how my life is different. That's what the works mean. They're the evidence that change occurred by the Spirit. So, so the first thing, are we saved by grace? Of course, that's the only thing. That was the choice of Jesus Christ to inhabit a body in this world. That's what grace means. Are we saved? Can our works save us? No, they had no ability to save us in and of their own. But how do works come into being? Works are by what we're judged. And the work simply shows were we changed by God's Spirit. When Jesus shares in the book of Matthew, at the judgment day, I had the sheep on one hand and the goats on the other. And one group says to him, well, when did we see you sick and hungry? And he says, well, whenever you did it to someone else, you visited the sick, you fed the hungry, you clothed the naked, you did it to me. These people, by their works, were showing whether they realized it or not, that their hearts were changed. The people on the left hand thought they were doing the work of God, but their heart was never changed, and their works didn't bear that evidence. So works, the first part is our works simply demonstrate as evidence, as you'd use in a court of law, the change. Hmm. So you said um, sometimes the language we're basing it on the wrong uh, premise even um i think sometimes even in a debate between different religions today we we have the language based on um we would just talk around each other when we may be saying the same thing like i i see like getting down on my knees in the morning and praying to the lord as a work it's not um maybe someone else would define that differently but um fasting uh, from meals in order to uh, become closer to the Lord, to me, is a work. Um, going to to church and to fellowship with believers uh, on a regular basis so that, um, you know, that I can be strengthened and just have that fellowship of the Spirit, to me, that's a work. 
And so I don't know that any believer, even in the in the Protestant world, whether you whether you're you know any denomination, would would say that those things are bad. Maybe they would say, but that's not necessary for salvation. And I would say that is necessary for salvation because it's through those things that um, I am working on my relationship with Jesus and I am working on that changed heart. And without those things, I can't just rely on Jesus dying for me to get to heaven because I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not seeking him out actively. I'm not wanting to be changed. I'm not having, you know, allowing that Holy Spirit to be thriving and growing within me. Right. So those are all works, but they're not, they're not the works of the law. But I think maybe that's where the the debate would be, or that's where people would say, no, those, those things don't save you. And yet maybe it's the fact that they don't, they don't believe that a heart change needs to take place. I don't know. Well, you, you touched on some great thoughts there, Mike. And I think this second definition of works is important. Um, one of the things we have to remember is when the Israelites left Egypt and they were in the wilderness and, and God gave them laws, they were stubborn, they were wicked, they were hard-hearted people, and they couldn't follow the laws. That's why Moses breaks the tablets and comes back down with another set and then he reads through a veil to these people because it, it symbolized the separation of God, of, of understanding from them. And he gives them lots of laws. The, the book of Leviticus is one place in the Old Testament where the laws that they had to live under, the, the laws which defined when they were clean or unclean, the, the laws which defined um, if you were righteous or unrighteous, the laws which defined how you sacrificed, the laws which defined who got to live and who got to die. You could die for breaking the Sabbath or for committing adultery. All these things were defined by the law, and it was a very harsh, um, cruel, uh, almost vengeful uh, existence. You know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. These laws were part of what the Scriptures call the law of Moses. They were a temporary law. There was actually 613 elements of it, 365 thou shalt do nots and about 200. 48, I think, thou shalt do's. The total of those was what governed what the Israelites lived by and did, and it was called the law. Now, in that day, the law of Moses was how you lived. If you were an Israelite, that's what you followed. But the beauty of the Book of Mormon is these people of Joseph who came here, they suddenly realized that this whole law pointed towards Jesus Christ. Every wit, says Alma 16, every particle of the law was designed to be a type and shadow to teach of him. And it was clearly stated by Moses and others that when this law, when Jesus came, he was going to fulfill the law, it was going to end. And that end came at his death and resurrection. That meant that in life afterwards, did you have to take a sheep to church? No. Did you have to, you know, slay it? slay it? Did you have to offer its blood? No, none of those things. Those laws were called, those things you did were called the works of the law. They were the works of the law. And sometimes they were just shortened to be called the law of works. Just like the law in our day, we might talk about something like, uh, what is your, what gives you the right as an American to uh, free speech or the right to bear arms, for instance. Well, talking, and if I ask you, what gives you that right, Mike, what, what would you say? Uh, the right to bear arms, the Second Amendment. 
uh, Second Amendment of what? Uh, uh, the Constitution. Right. And so you said two words, the Constitution, right? You didn't say the Constitution of the United States of America because you know we're talking mm. in context. In the days of Israel, when you mentioned the law, it was the law of Moses. That language continues in the New Testament. When the law of Moses was fulfilled, the people of the New Testament who were Jews entrenched in this, they had a very, very hard time getting their arms around the fact that they didn't have to drag a sheep to church anymore. That was a new concept because that's how you did it, right? You kill the sheep, you drip the blood, you do all these things. Mm -hmm. That was done away. And if they didn't get the fact that it all pointed towards Jesus, then, well, it was a little too late. It wasn't too late. You could come to this knowledge of Jesus. But that's why the Gentiles didn't have to do any of this stuff. Uh, Paul even kind of chastises Peter because he's dragging some Gentiles into the Jewish old ways. He's saying, no, they don't have to do this. We don't have to do this anymore. And I can give you some of those scriptures. But the point is this. Most of the New Testament was Paul talking about the fact that the old works of the law of Moses were done away to a people who were hard-hearted and didn't understand that. The beauty of the Book of Mormon is that the people learned early on from writers like Nephi and King Benjamin, Abinadi, and Alma, who all write about the fact that the law was pointing towards Christ. The law of works, of these works of the Mosaic law, was to be done away in Christ. When Jesus comes he, in, in the fifth and sixth chapters and seventh chapters, of third Nephi, as he's speaking to the Nephites, he says over six times, the law of Moses is fulfilled. It's done. You don't have to do this anymore. And the people in America lived and prospered because this was done. It was put behind them now. But the people of the New Testament still struggled because of this major fact. They didn't recognize Jesus was the Messiah. And because they didn't recognize him as the Messiah, they kept thinking this law, these works of the law were more important. So most of the New Testament becomes this uh, teaching and instruction by the apostles of the fact that it all pointed towards Jesus from the beginning. And so many, many scriptures talk about this, and I'll just throw out a few. Um, John 1.17, John states, as he's introducing Jesus, this Lamb of God, he says, the law was given through Moses, but life and truth come through Jesus Christ. Galatians 5 says, Christ is of no effect whoever thinks they're still justified by the law. He says, you're fallen from grace. You don't understand if you think you're going to be made righteous by the law of Moses. You're made righteous by the blood of Christ. That's what it all pointed towards. Romans 8 says, the law of the Spirit of Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. That was this law of Moses. The law in Hebrews 10.1 says, the law had a shadow of good things to come, not the very image and not with those sacrifices, which year to year would, would make the people who'd perform them perfect, but it was what Jesus did. There were many, many scriptures that talked about the allegory of, uh, for instance, Galatians 4 discusses that Abraham had two wives. One was a slave and one was free. The people who lived under the law of Moses, were compared to, in Galatians 4, the old covenant under the Mosaic law being bondage. The, the people who were born to Christ were compared to the woman who was free. This whole law was full of works. It was full of things people had to do. And those were the works as the second definition of works by which the, um, the writers of the New, New Testament were discussing 
it was those works that did not save them. And, and so when we have works that are the works of Christ, one of the uh, interesting scriptures, and this is kind of a popular scripture in, in many Christian circles, uh, if you go to uh, uh, the doctor as a, as a child, you know, they might give you, uh, you know, some kind of a, oh, an inoculation so you don't get some virus or something someday. And, and, and this scripture is almost like the works inoculation because I've seen it used in this way. Uh, Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 8, states something very plainly. And sometimes people say, well, read Ephesians 2, 8. It says, for by grace you are saved through faith and not of yourselves, but it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, if you take that scripture right there and say, well, see, you're saved by faith and not works, so that's the end of the story. But if you continue reading in context, verse 10 says, but we are the workmanship of Christ, created in Christ unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So at first it's saying, hey, we're not saved by grace, or or we're not saved by works, rather, only grace. But then it says, but we're created to do good works. So how do works and grace balance in this? The works that he was talking about were the works of the law, the old law of Moses. He said, we're not saved by those, but we're saved by becoming the creatures in Christ that he asks us to be and walking in his desires for us to, to love our neighbor, to, to, to help the sick, to heal broken relationships. Those are the works that Christ wants us to be about. If you look, if you look at the, um, well, the lives of those Christian who were Jews, the apostles, it wasn't like once they came to know Christ and his law and his, this higher way of living that they all just sat back and, and had a party. I mean, what, what did their lives show once they realized that the Mosaic law was no longer needed? What did they do then? I mean, they were so active. They were so uh, engaged in different works, which was sharing love, sharing the gospel, sharing the good news of Christ, that, that they were killed and murdered. So they they were very active. They were very active in setting up communities um, as they went out into different nations. And And um, Paul's letters are to all of these different communities and churches that didn't, that were sprung up and planted by these believers of Christ. There was all kinds of work going on, and people were living and trying to live what Jesus had taught. And and that's much of the New Testament, right? The acts and the things that happened of the believers. It wasn't that everybody just stood still, you know, sat still and said, all we need to do is just believe exactly. that Christ came in and that's it. Exactly, exactly. Um, you know, a great scripture search, if people like to scripture search, are the words works and works of the law. Um, Romans and Galatians, uh, Hebrews, other books of the New Testament that were written to Jews often discuss this topic because those were the people struggling with it. Books that were written to the Gentiles were uh, not full of discussion of works of law because they never lived under that. They were just talking about the, the love of Christ. So when you find these books that seem to be uh, focused so often, so heavily on, on works, it's because of the fact that there were people who didn't understand in the day. Um, to give you a few of those scriptures, you know, Paul asks in Galatians 3, 5, he says, hey, those of you who felt the Spirit, and maybe he's talking about the day of Pentecost, he said, did you do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith, meaning the hearing of faith about Jesus? The works of the law, meaning the Old 
Old Testament works. He said, the Old Testament stuff, those sacrifices didn't bring that spirit. It was when you learned about Jesus. And so the works of the law uh, were, were the things of the Old Testament that were part of these temporary laws. It was almost like martial law given because of disobedience to Israel. But the works of the law were to be done away and so that people could come to Christ. Galatians 3.10, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who continueth not in the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. In other words, he's saying people who come to Christ but still think you have to live by the old works of the Mosaic law, you're missing the point. You're, you're, it's like having a curse because you're not getting the point of Jesus. Um, scripture talks about this in, in other areas where it combines faith and works. Romans 4.16 says, you are justified. You are, and justified means to be made spiritually righteous of faith and works through grace. In other words, your faith, now this isn't the works of the law. It's talking about our works in Christ, in Christ. By having faith and works means that our faith is not just head knowledge. Our faith becomes this firm determination to do his will. He said that's what brings righteousness when we not only believe it, but we carry it out in our lives. When we decide that I'm going to love my neighbor, whether my neighbor loves me back, you know, I'm going to walk with someone two miles, even if they only ask me to walk one. That's where faith and works come into play. That's the kind of thing that judgment becomes about, right? That's what it is. But but to separate in the New Testament, you know, just if you word search the word the law, you're going to find over a hundred references to that in the New Testament, where most of the time they're talking about this word which in the New Testament in the Greek was nemos, or, which came from the word nomos, which was a Hebrew word that talked about how they would feed chickens, uh, literally you know, scatter food here and there, here a little, there a little, right? That's what that word came from, the law. It meant parcel out a little bit here and there. But the original word of that word nomos, which was the Greek word for the law, came back to the word Torah. It was the first five books of the Bible where you get the Mosaic Law. So in the New Testament, when they reference the law, if you use like a Strong's Concordance where you can get the Hebrew definition, you'll find most of those references translated to the word by the works of the Torah or the Old Testament laws of Moses. That was the news of the day. And, and the people of the Book of Mormon, they lived under this too. But as Nephi writes, he said, the law of Moses we still keep because of the commandment, but it's become dead unto us. We, we speak of Christ, we teach of Christ, we prophesy of him so that our children can know the hope to, to look forward to someday and to know that this law will be done away. And, and this was, again, speaking before Jesus lived. So, so this grace and works, bringing it back to that, the argument that we are works-based is, is wrong, at least in theory. Now, I think some of us kind of hold to the fact, well, maybe I have to be really, really, really good, and then I can be with God, but if I'm only really good, well, I don't get to be with God, but I still am not in hell, and I'm somewhere in between. We need to have that conversation, because Scripture has a lot to say about that, that I think we don't always tell among ourselves the correct story. We'll let that go for a little bit. But the point is this. If we come to Jesus and we demonstrate that our heart was changed, that's what judgment comes to. And, and one of the things that uh, works is sort of was made uh, unpopular back in the days of Martin Luther. You know, he took a stand against the, the Catholic Church, uh, nails his uh, reasons by which they were in transgression, so to speak, 
on, on the door of the church and, and this sets you know the world in a new direction uh, of grace well he had a problem in his day because everything coming from from that source of doctrine at least catholicism and i'm not speaking specifically but just in generality made people feel like in order to be saved you had to do so many works you had to you were going to be saved because of your works you were a bad person but you could work yourself good and it really didn't talk about the the mercy of christ or the atonement it was like that was an aside thing but you needed to work at it he was protesting that 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 became the source of the protestant denomination but it morphed from that but he was so concerned he literally could not reconcile faith and works in fact he felt i've I've got some scripture it's not scripture it's historical uh quotes by martin luther he was so uh distraught over the word works that he literally suggested to the people who created the canon of scripture in the new testament that we have today that at least three books be removed that was the book of james the book of hebrews and the book of revelation oh wow and and the reason for that historically is because he said they all mention works Mm -hmm. he could not reconcile faith and works in any conversation at all but not realizing again what we talked about the works that the scriptures were talking about were divided into two groups the works of the old testament law were what were done away the works of christ are what we're going to be judged by and those are valid that's exactly what james was talking about that's what revelation says i saw the dead great and small stand before god in revelation 20 and be judged of their book of their works the books were opened you know the the scriptures very clearly teach there's judgment and judgment is based on works you know when those people stand on jesus right hand or left hand he doesn't say hey blessed are you coming to me because you said you believed on me Right? He doesn't say you're saved by grace because you said you believed. Everything about their being able to stand on his right hand was based on something they apparently did. It was how they treated their neighbor. It was how they loved someone else. And so, again, it all comes back to the change of heart that happens when the Spirit of God enters our soul. You know, there's we've talked about so much. Um, my mind is kind of kind of spinning around. I. I think an important question is what's what's the uh, there's always a spirit behind um, at work behind lies or usually when there's a debate or there's people with two different uh, viewpoints you know there's usually a, a truth that is present sometimes somewhere in the middle maybe or or maybe on one end or the other and there's some spirit at work to get us to believe lies and I've always felt that there's this giant lie in this debate that's just under the surface and and sometimes people talk at each other they never quite get to the to the meat of what that lie is or why it is really super important. And then other people think that they know it. But anyway, I think historically we fall into a trap too of just listening to what someone else had to say about it. Not that you shouldn't be listening to us right now by any means, but, but sometimes even, even famous names throughout history, the history of Christianity, anyhow, uh, people hold views that, other people don't challenge and hundreds of years later people just adhere to things because that's what someone said and they were famous therefore it must be true it might be good to look at a little bit of that next time and then examine that under the microscope of scripture and say hey well these people said these things and many people believe certain things because of that now uh but but what do the scriptures actually say and and have a little bit of uh fun with that that sounds good to me brother let's uh Until next time, we'll keep that in mind, and uh, God bless.